Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another edition of the SB Nation College Ball Recruiting Podcast. This is Bud Elliott, your recruiting editor, along with uh, Morgan Moriarty. Morgan, what's going on? Doing well. How about you? Uh, not bad. Not bad. Just uh, still getting a little sunshine down here in Florida, and I feel like that started to turn, maybe getting a little bit of cooler weather in the late afternoon. So the, the, the fall is, is finally arriving. I don't know if you have a fall in Florida, bud, and I'm saying that as a true Florida native. This is true. This is kind of an all Florida podcast. Like, I know you're. Are you a Georgian right now, or are you like? Are you I am an Florida? Atlanta resident right now. Yes. But are are you a Floridian or are you a Georgian? Like, do you, do you still feel like a Floridian? Yeah, I mean, I've only been here for a little over two years, so. Okay, that's that's fair. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about today in the world of college football and how recruiting affects it. Uh, we are still on a big-time uh, elite recruit uh, commitment drought, though. Not a lot of kids committing in September. That's not entirely abnormal. We talked a little bit last week, too. Hey, there's an issue here because you had a hurricane uh, impacting three of the four most talented states in the country, in, in Florida, uh, Texas, Georgia, and California being the exception there. No, no hurricane out there. So that's impacted a lot of people's travel plans, both in terms of uh, roads being blocked, but also in terms of funds. Um, you know, a lot of times, a lot of money associated with hurricanes. So things have slowed down a little bit in the Southeast, which is really kind of the greatest hotbed of recruiting. But uh, Saturday night, there was some action in, in, in Athens, Georgia. Uh, Georgia crushes Mississippi State, got out to a big lead and, and really never looked back. And Morgan, Georgia had some studs in attendance. Yes, they did. Um the one I can think of off the top of my head, um, Justin Fields was on hand there. Um, is he, you know, the go-to target for Georgia at this point? I know Florida State's after him hard, obviously. Um, you know, kind of interesting there because they've gotten off to a really rough start, which I know we'll get into a little bit later. Um, but is is it Justin Fields or bust for Georgia at this point as far as the quarterback goes? Yeah, I, I think they're going to make him uh, tell them no, uh, to be honest, especially because they, they passed on uh, Matt Corral, who then turned and, and committed to Florida, and Florida got a good right. one on him, I believe. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's primarily a, a Georgia-Florida State battle. This is the uh, second time in as many weeks that Fields has been back at Georgia. I know all the Georgia commits are recruiting him really hard. You know, and uh, it's just so rare that you cash in everything, right? You get the great atmosphere. You get all the hype, you know, hey, what, can Georgia actually take down Mississippi State? I know they were favored, but there was a lot of Mississippi State hype mm-hmm. after they had beaten LSU. Georgia fans are just so hungry for a quality home win. Uh, and they go out there and they have a dominating performance in front of Channing Tendall, a really good linebacker out of South Carolina, Adam Anderson, good backer out of Georgia, and then probably the two best guards in the country, uh, Jamari Sellier and, and Trey Hill, uh, both Georgians themselves. Uh that that's just that's something coaches dream of to be able to cash in something like that. And look, while those kids haven't committed, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if a couple of them do end up at Georgia, and that that number fourteen class uh, could rise a lot by national signing day. Yeah, absolutely. And and when you have, I mean, you talk about the perfect visit weekend. I mean, being on hand for a primetime game against a really really what looked like a good Mississippi State team, um, and just blowing them out in front of your home crowd. I mean, I I wouldn't want anything better than that. No, I mean, that, that's that's what you got to do. That, that's Georgia wants to put separation between itself and the rest of the East. And, of course, you actually have to win the division uh, once in a while to do that. It's, it's been a little bit 
since the dogs have done that. But so far, I, they look probably like the best team in the, in the East. And, and to do that in front of their, their home crowd, in front of those recruits, that that's that kind of energy and momentum and just the feeling around the program that, that, that especially high school age kids, just have the, the real susceptibility to being caught up in. Yeah, and, and especially I think another thing that plays into that is how well Kirby Smart's class last year, you know, turned out in his his first true recruiting class. I think a lot of these recruits are looking at that um, and and seeing, you know, guys like Jake Fromm, you know, coming in freshman year and, and doing some big things. I think that goes a long way. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, Georgia last year, the number three class in the country per, per most rankings and uh, a class that I think in other years had Bama and Ohio State not been so crazy good last year on a recruiting trail, uh, that Georgia class could have been number one in the nation worthy. Um, a high school game that we probably the high school game of the week, which uh, I, I didn't get to watch live, but got to catch online. Uh, kind of cool that IMG's putting their games online on their Facebook page was uh, Miami central at IMG and uh, Miami central got out to an early lead. And uh, ultimately IMG uh, was too much. They, they took them down. But uh, if you like watching high school games and seeing a lot of talent on the field, I mean, <laughs> I know you covered the state playoff games here just like I have. Um, those are two teams that you routinely see just you know at the top of the state. Obviously, IMG can't play in the playoffs because they're, they're not eligible uh, due to the FHSAA stuff. But uh, Miami commit uh, Arthur Sikowski uh, got benched uh, in, in this one. I'm not sure if that was an injury or poor performance or whatever. But uh, it didn't really matter who the quarterback was, Morgan, because they just turned and handed the ball to uh, Alabama running back commit Trey Sanders, who – just carried the load in the second half and 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 took the game over uh, for for IMG to overcome a, a really really talented Miami Central team. Um, I really think that the depth at Alabama, as far as the running back position goes, is just so outstanding, and that just plays into that. I mean, they've already got a guy lined up that can you know run the ball for four quarters. That's pretty impressive. And when you look at I mean, we always think of Miami Central as having probably the best offensive line in the state, right? They're, they generally are, are pretty well coached, and they're huge. You mm -hmm. don't see 300-pounders across the board. Uh, but there's always a guy or two on that line who's 300 pounds and, like, real sloppy. Uh, IMG somehow has 300 pounds across the board not sloppy, and that's probably because they have a, a college weight training and strength program uh, right out there on their, on their what is essentially a college campus. It's just so hard, I think, as an opposing high school defensive line to stand up for four quarters against a line with you know Lewis Neal and 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 Virtus Brown and Curtis Dunlop and 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 uh, Ruben Ujide and and all these other guys who are, are going to go D one and high D one over the course of four quarters, just having that much that much you know mass lean on you with technique and talent and and quickness, that's too much. Yeah, and I think across the board on the high school level, I mean that's really really rare, rare to get a complete talented offensive line it really is I mean, to have that level of talent uh, and there's nobody on that line you really have to, to compensate for or try to hide or, or always need to help out i mean they're all very good in their own right that's i think by far the best high school line i've ever seen it, it's just who, who has five guys going d1 starting and two backups that are going to go d1 <laughs> yeah i i don't even know if any school in the country has that I mean, your dad's high school coach, right? Like he, he, he'd probably enjoy having that. Oh yeah, <laughs> he would. He would kill for that. Uh, last weekend, we we talked a little bit about the Georgia uh, destroying Mississippi State. Uh, 
Auburn goes up and, and beats uh, uh, Missouri and maybe establishes that Missouri's you know, looking so bad against Purdue it was no fluke. Uh, I'll, let me ask you, if Bama is clearly the class of the SEC, and I I have to think they are given that they just, just killed Vanderbilt, was it 59 nothing or something? Uh, yeah. Who do you have as the number two team in the SEC? Is it Georgia for you? Is it Auburn? Is it even close? If you're asking me at this point in the season, I would, based off of just what I've seen thus far, probably Georgia just because um, they've looked really, really strong and consistent in all of their games so far this season. Auburn, not so much. Um, really like the balance they have offensively, defensively. They look really good. Um, so I would, I would say Georgia for now, um, you know, kind of by far. Yeah, Auburn's I, up there. Auburn's up there, but they they look really inconsistent, especially that game against Mercer. Exactly, and then Clemson sacked him, you know, eleven times. Mm-hmm. I, I think I agree with you on Georgia being better, uh, especially on a neutral site. Uh, what gives me pause is that this would be a, if they did play. It's Nick Saban going up against a true freshman. Um, now Georgia's defense, I think, is is really tailor made to to slow down Alabama's run game and, and make. You know, to attack by Aloha, pass the ball more, which Alabama doesn't seem to want him to do all that much. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, ultimately, I I think I would take Georgia. Uh, the Auburn game being in Auburn and maybe allowing for the rest, I think you make a great point by saying, you know, right now, maybe Auburn has the potential to be better than Georgia by season's end, and, and that game being in Auburn might give me some pause. Um, but, excuse me, the, the Alabama game being in Auburn, not, not, not the uh, – uh, the Georgia game, although that one actually is down there too. But that those will be two kind of fascinating games to watch, and, and it'll be interesting to see if anybody in that league actually gives them a challenge because it's it's usually been LSU, mm-hmm. and right now LSU to me doesn't really look like a team set up to challenge Alabama this year. Yeah, and I think kind of to counter the point about Georgia, while I agree, I think you know they've looked really good, and in my eyes, they're the second best team right now. But I mean, look at that Vanderbilt game this past weekend. I mean, we thought it was going to be really competitive because Vanderbilt's defense looked really good. And um, we, we saw Tua, their backup quarterback, just put a sports center top 10 play against Vanderbilt's defense. So, I mean, maybe we haven't seen how good Alabama can be yet. Um, maybe that's just, you know, who they played so far. They haven't really had to show everything they have. But um, I think – I wouldn't be surprised if, if something like that could happen um, if Alabama and Georgia meet in Atlanta, what I mean by that. Oh, yeah, there's there's no doubt. I mean, if you – Jake Fromm only threw, what, like 13 passes in this game? Yeah. That If you if you shut down Georgia's run game and make him throw the ball a whole lot, that's, uh, that's, that's a whole different ballgame. I think you're exactly right. And speaking of Jake, I counted up four, like, major programs – are starting true freshmen this year. Have you seen this? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I, mean, I, I was trying to think. I, I can't think of any time recently where, like, four blue blood type programs, Georgia, mm-hmm. Texas with Sam Ellinger, Florida State with James Blackman, Texas A&M with Kellen Mond, all those schools starting true freshmen at the same time, that, that's, that's pretty amazing to me. Yeah, usually, you know, a couple seasons here and there, you have one or two who do really well, but I mean, something like this where they're all playing the same season, true freshmen, that's 
pretty remarkable. And unfortunately, most of that is is due to injury. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Eason went down and may not get his job back, by the way. Like, I, I, I like Jacob Eason's talent, but it seems like everybody on that team really loves Jake Fromm. The way they, they get after him and, and mm-hmm. the way they're, they're slapping his pads and stuff, you can tell they play for that guy. Yeah, and especially just from, you know, Cadence, just an offensive standpoint, it's tough to go, you know, midway through the season with one guy and then make a change. So I I, I agree with you on that. Ellinger at Texas seems to fit the personality of that offense a little better. I don't know if he's, like, superstar talented. He, he did tell us in high school that he was a – a combination of Cam Newton and Drew Brees, uh, which <laughs> interesting. Uh huh. Um, but yeah, you know, Shane Bouchel goes down. Ellinger, who's a, a pretty good runner, the passer is is sometimes there, sometimes it's not. Uh, we know that Tom Herman loves to run his quarterback. He did it at Ohio State. He did it at, at uh, Houston. I think Ellinger is more set up to run than than Bouchel was. So again, if Ellinger stays stays healthy and Bouchel gets back healthy. I don't know that Bouchelle gets his job back. How much do you think, given that, you know, they're already down a quarterback, Herman might pull Ellinger back a little bit in terms of running just so he can stay healthy? I, I think that's that's really key. I, I don't know how long Bouchelle is out for mm-hmm. um, at, at, at Texas, the, the starter to be in the year. But um, if he's back and healthy, I think you have to run Ellinger because he's not uh, – like if he's not using his legs a whole lot, I'm not so sure that he's the best option. Like he's the best option in part because of his legs. If right. he is the best option, uh, you know, James Blackman at Florida State, who is then because DeAndre Francois uh, tore his was it patella tendon, I believe, against Alabama uh, in the fourth quarter. There, you know, Blackman had had some really nice throws this weekend. Florida State lost to NC State. Not really his fault. I mean, he didn't throw any interceptions. He had he had one fumble. Um, you know, he had some freshman moments, certainly with with not getting guys in and out of the right plays. Maybe, uh, maybe some checks at the line that Francois probably would have made. But um, again, if he, he, I think top end talent there is actually better than Francois. He's not a better player than Francois right now, but the ceiling, if he can reach it, is potentially higher. And then, you know, at A and M, Kellen Mont, who's, who's a really good runner and. Mm-hmm. Also did some good things passing in that game against Arkansas, and, and you look at how did these guys get in their position this year? It was all injuries, right? I mean, Georgia was an injury, Texas was an injury, like you said, Florida State injury, A and M, also an injury, I believe. But like the background on on why they had to turn to a true freshman, what happened in A and M? Well, you had uh, Kyler Murray transfer to where did he go? Oklahoma. He's sitting out this year, I think. And then I believe so, yeah. And then you had the other kid transfer to Houston, um, Kyle Allen, and, and right. he's, he's now Houston starter. They, they kind of botched that situation at A and M, and now they got to turn to a true freshman. At Florida State, you had DeAndre Johnson punch a woman in a bar, so they booted him off the team immediately. He went to Last Chance U and is now at, at FAU. And then you had Malik Henry get kind of kicked out of the program slash transfer, uh, and is now at a Kansas JUCO. So they've had back to back guys there who didn't work out. Texas, I think, is the only one where maybe or, – or Texas and Georgia are kind of – they're not having to start a true freshman because of recruiting woes this year. They had to start a true freshman because of recruiting woes maybe in the past, like last year when they had to start Bouchelle as a true and Eason as a true. Right. Um, but now it's just kind of you're going from true to redshirt there. The redshirt gets hurt. Um, 
or, or excuse me, the, the second year guy gets hurt. Now you got to turn to a true. It's it's interesting. Yeah, and I mean for Florida State and Texas A and M, thank God they recruited those guys and and got them to to head there because otherwise, where would they be? Uh, exactly. I mean, you'd have to play a, a guy like a JJ Costantino who is they, they clearly don't trust or A and M. I ugh, maybe a walk on. I I'm, I don't know who else they have. Uh, on AM's roster after losing two QBs like that. The uh, the FBI uh, <laughs> rested a bunch of college uh, hoops coaches on uh, on Tuesday. That was uh, a bit of a surprise for us when we, when we logged in to do uh, to work. Yeah, and that happened like really pretty early in the morning too. Not that early, but it did. I was like, okay, let me get some coffee. This is going to take a minute to read this <laughs> thing. And it so the FBI is basically alleging that. Uh, for podcast purposes, the simplest way we can put this, I think, is that the uh, college coaches received money to give to recruits in order to have, in, in one scam, in order to have recruits make sure that they went to that school and the money is alleged to have come from a shoe company, Adidas, because they want the kid to go to an Adidas school, Adidas sponsored school, like for instance, Louisville or Miami. Uh, and then for once that kid declares pro to sign with Adidas. And then in another scam, you had agents or wannabe agents slash runners giving money to uh, coaches to give to players uh, in order to uh, basically have the players uh, sign with those agents or financial advisors or managers, uh, whatever, once they left school. And the FBI turned this into a federal crime issue by saying that there's like a a fraud issue because you're they, they, they sign these scholarship and, and grant and aid documents uh, saying they haven't received uh, other monies or whatever, and then that turns into some kind of like fraud or, or you know, falsification of documents or lying on you know government documents type thing, and there's some wire fraud and a bunch of – they're basically using like a bunch of RICO type stuff uh, in, in, in some ways here, like like kind of like they would nail the mob. And they got wiretaps. <laughs> And videos apparently, and text messages, and, and screenshots. They actually put them in the uh, in the complaint. This is this is pretty serious stuff. The, the feds don't typically indict unless they've got a, a mountain of evidence. Yeah, this has to easily be like one of the more serious. And it's just funny because I, I don't think any of us could have expected the FBI to be involved in something like this, you know, a month ago. Um, but they are. And it's just, I just find it funny because it's so, it is really serious and in depth and involved on the FBI's part. And I couldn't have seen this coming. Uh, me neither. I mean, I look, we've always heard that, that college basketball recruiting was super dirty and that the shoe mm-hmm. companies are involved. And, you know, even on, on a, a team site level, right? Running Tomahawk Nation, we know, okay, in college basketball recruiting, if this kid plays for an AAU team, like Florida State to Nike school. If the kid plays for an Under Armour or Adidas AAU team, the chance that he's going to go to a Nike school in Tallahassee is really low, especially because Florida State's not that good at basketball. Like, they're not terrible, right. but they're not anything special. Uh, that matters a whole lot. Like, those connections are strong. I, I do wonder how much this goes on in football. I, I think it's probably less than college basketball, but more than people think. Right. And, and we have, you know, an incredible piece that Stephen Godfrey did, the bag man, um, obviously not as, you know, brand implicated as this story was. But I mean, 
dirty recruiting happens pretty much everywhere in, in college football, especially in the South. Um, but I don't think it's as intricate as, you know, what's going on here with, with Louisville and the FBI. Exactly. That, that's, I mean, Louisville and I guess school number seven looks like it's Miami and mm-hmm. uh, there, there are a bunch of other schools involved here too. Some of them are Adidas schools, some of them not, depends on, on which, uh, which indictment, um, you know, there, there's the, obviously the brand thing and then there's the, um, you know, the agent thing. I, I got a question for it. Do you think this is going to, going to spill over into the AAU circuit, for instance, or not the AAU circuit, but rather the seven on seven circuit, AAU basketball recruiting is really dirty with seven on seven teams. You know, they're almost all sponsored by one of the big three companies. Do you, mm-hmm. do you think this is going to start happening or perhaps it is already happening like this? You mean the dirty recruiting or the FBI getting involved? No, the, the sort of the influence of the apparel companies uh, and saying, okay, hey, if you're on a, you know, for instance, if you're mm-hmm. on a Adidas 7-on-7 team, you go to an Adidas school, that, that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, why not? <laughs> I mean, if th- that, this might be the, the best chance for people like that to get to these kids now. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you. Um, and think about this. It was kind of a revelation to me how much some of these kids were essentially worth on the open market. And they're they're essentially or allegedly going to be one and done type players, right? The guys who come for a year, maybe mm-hmm. two, 150 grand for one year of a college basketball player, a sport that doesn't make near as much money as football does. That was a little bit surprising to me. Yeah, I mean – but college basketball is also, you know, it's so different than college football in, in terms of who you go after, are they one and done, or do you, you know, coaches at the collegiate level, especially obviously John Calipari, don't really care as much if you want to stay four years and develop and, and get your degree. I just think it's, you know, it's just a little different on that level. No, oh, for sure. I, I, I agree. I wonder if you're going to pay 150 grand for one year of a hoops player, how much is a five-star quarterback worth? I mean, half a million. I would assume more than that. Yeah. You know, you're going to get them for at least three years, if not four. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, I, you know, it, it, football is worth more as a sport. It makes a lot more money for the school. The staffs are paid a heck of a lot more if you total it all up. I, I got to think that he's probably worth more than, than a basketball player with the exception of hoops. Players are more visible like their faces and their, their ability to sell shoes, right? People buy right. the shoes that basketball players wear on the court. Football players wear cleats, so you know only a certain percentage of the population you know wears cleats, and they wear helmets, so people don't really get to see their faces and their marketing ability or their marketing worth is a little bit reduced. But that's that's just something. Yeah, I'm that's a good about. point. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I worked on something this week with uh, there was a linebacker out of LSU who plays for the Bucks, uh, Quan Alexander. And he had posed a question, what if uh, all the NFL players went back to college, who would win the national title? And he, of course, said LSU, uh, which hey, I play for him. No no, uh, no shock there, but uh, be on the lookout for that. I have that coming up on SB Nation either uh, Thursday or Friday. And uh, I'll tease my final four here. Uh, I had uh, Georgia, Florida State, uh, USC, and Quan Alexander's LSU. Um, I was a little surprised I didn't have Alabama in there, 
given how well Alabama recruits, though? Yeah, I I mean, I would say Florida State if I had a team winning it. I, I think so, or Georgia. Um, just because, look, you, you got it. At, at that level, everybody in the league basically has athletes, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't think the difference between, like, Bama's, you know, all their positions or LSU's or Florida State or Georgia's in the league is that great. But the one thing they don't necessarily all have is quarterback. You know, and Georgia has Stafford, who's pretty good, and Florida State has Jameis, who's pretty good. But LSU has Zach Mettenberger. And I don't now, even know where he is. <laughs> right. And and the best guy Bama has is AJ McCarron, who wasn't right. that great in, in college. Like he was fine yeah. what they do. He's still but... sitting behind Andy Dalton, which is And Andy well, Dalton's a... not very good, right? Right. <laughs> or at least not off to a good start, according to my friends who play fantasy football. Um uh, yeah. So I, I, that'll be interesting. I, I put all the rosters up there. What else was interesting was seeing which positions are kind of deficient for certain teams in the league. Like I think Notre Dame and certainly Oklahoma only had two DBs in the league or something. I know yeah. Oklahoma had only had two guys. And then, you know, Clemson and Auburn only have two NFL offensive linemen right now each. Wow. I didn't know. And then Florida State only has two NFL receivers right now. It, it, it's kind of it's kind of odd when you think about it. Just the hey, where where is this program matched up with what they've done on the field or, or whatnot? I guess you know, Oklahoma's secondary not producing a lot of NFL guys in recent years right. makes a lot of sense. Uh, but I I would have figured Auburn would have have a couple more offensive linemen in the league, and that that's kind of surprised me. Um, where do you want to go now? You want to go to I know you wrote you wrote about this today, didn't you? Bud Jones, yeah, yeah. Let, let's talk about this a little bit. You want to go ahead? <laughs> no, you go. You can go. Um, yeah, interesting thing out of Tennessee this week, um, which kind of took a turn on Wednesday. Um, everyone pretty much saw the the media rant that Butch Jones uh, gave on Monday. Um, we find out on Wednesday that the question he was asked during his press conference um, was whether or not uh, the two players that were injured. Shy Tuttle and Nigel Warrior, who missed um, Saturday's game against UMass, whether those injuries were sustained because um, Warrior punched Tuttle in the face. Um, that was reported by um, GridironNow.com that that had happened. And um, he was asked about this, and, and he said, football is an emotional game. It's a competitive game. And um, he, he ended up saying that the injury was caused was not caused by a teammate um, that he landed on a helmet um, and then he went into this really long rant about you know the negativity that the medium brings and how it plays into his job as Tennessee's coach um, saying that I'll, I'll go ahead and quote it here I think all of us as humans have to self-check ourselves and you may not like that answer but I'm a father I have three boys and I think we sometimes, got to put ourselves in a role of a parent as well. It's it's And it goes on for like three or four more graphs. But I think this is just a further example of Butch Jones not handling the media well. Um, you know, we, we talked about this last week with the five-star hearts and the champions of life thing. He's, he's kind of taken a, you know, me versus the world approach with the media where you know, and we might be a little biased because we we are in the media and we cover these teams, but the media is just doing you know their job. It's their job to 
ask a question like that when when someone tells you that um, you know the teammate punched another teammate in the face, and I think he just you know he's obviously frustrated. Tennessee's not where he probably expected them to be in in his year five, um, but I think he just. He really gets kind of flustered by the media, who's again just doing what they're supposed to do. I, I think he's actually worse at the media than he is at coaching. Which is <laughs> yeah, you should just handle handle the media like he does coaching. Oh my gosh! I, if you're his media guy, you got to be like, all right, we're just we're just going to put a timer on this press conference because <laughs> the longer it goes, the more they let him ramble, the more just nonsensical stuff comes out of his mouth. I I saw he. Well, part of that well, I, I think talking part about of reality that, TV and right, and I think part of it, and this is, you know, I'm I don't cover the team. I kind of have an outsider perspective. I think a lot of time coaches nowadays, as opposed to in the past, you know, they respect what the media does and and they take the time to answer all the questions and be respectful and and actually give good answers. Um, but I think Butch just kind of struggles with, you know, being a head coach and and playing the cards close to the vest. And being a good, you know, um, person to talk to, and, and being open, and, and talking about the team, um, so that the media can cover it, if that makes sense. Exactly. And the way we relate this to recruiting here, you know, he was talking about especially the recruiting guys. And um, I look, I totally understand that Butch Jones wants wants to spin whatever the reality is to fit the recruiting narrative that Tennessee is presenting, and I think he should. That's his job. Tennessee currently has like a top five recruiting class nationally, and he's doing a good job of that. But to ask the media to spin things for you in recruiting and to not report on things and to to go along with this sort of whitewashed PR, you know, PR release style version of Tennessee football, it, it's just not going to happen. And it's not realistic. And it does look kind of buffoonish to ask media to, to, to go along with that. It's just not it's not the same thing. Right. And I think from the recruiting standpoint that he brought up um, to kind of defend the reason I think people take the recruiting standpoint when evaluating Butch Jones is what else do you have to go on? You know, they haven't won the SEC East. Um, Their best season was last year when they finished. What was it? Seven and five. I think so. Yeah. So it it was a fine year, but it wasn't a great year. Right. So I think, you know, given that you, you kind of have to build, you know, Butch Jones's credit and, and the recruiting trail is, is the best place to do that after on the field performance. Exactly. It's, and I, I get that he doesn't want stuff to be used against the negative recruiting, but mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff is his own creation. Right. So I, I you know, that, that to me is kind of silly. Uh, last week we talked about, an idea that, that we, were, we were kind of batting around in Slack and turned it into a podcast. Could half of the SEC change jobs by the end of, not this season, but next season? A couple of interesting developments in that league this weekend. Uh, A&M beat uh, Arkansas. Missouri got absolutely crushed by, by Auburn. Uh, LSU kind of struggled at home against Syracuse, had to hold on for dear life. Florida beat Kentucky. Uh, Butch Jones, they struggled with UMass at, I'll, I'll throw this to you, Morgan. What, did anybody here like substantially alter their their hot seat status based on last week? No. You could maybe say Texas A&M, but not really. And to kind of tie this back to 
the Louisville FBI thing, one thing that's really interesting um, that I wrote about today was that um, Bobby Petrino's buyout, um, now that Tom Jerk is out at Louisville as the AD, um, it's it set at $8.5 million, but that was only with Jerk still as the AD. Now that he's gone, um, that gets cut in half to 4.25. So if you're Texas A&M and Tennessee at the end of the year and you want to go after a guy like Petrino, that is a lot more feasible than it was with his um, 8.5. It was originally 10 million after last season. That's yeah, I, I, that's a huge number right there, uh, slashed in half. So good on Texas A&M if, if they can actually go out and get Petrino. But at the same time, I mean. Just a couple of years ago, Petrino was all but unhirable at at most uh, at most stops, and you know, he was in the SEC, and obviously got fired for the the, the motorcycle incident. Uh, but you know, it wasn't like he was doing like that much better, I guess, than than, than Bielema was at Arkansas. I, that'd be interesting if A and M does want him. He's also not a great recruiter, to be honest. And right. How old is Bobby Petrino? Oh, he's fifty-six. Okay, so that's that's not that bad. Um, I, I was thinking. I'm picturing him 60. with with the neck brace and everything, and was imagining him a lot older from exactly. that picture. <laughs> yeah, he he feels older, but maybe cause he's just been around so long. Yeah, um, you know, back in the '90s at Auburn. Uh, I'm gonna agree with you. I don't think anybody really altered their fortunes that much because there were no upsets. Right. A&M was favored. LSU was favored. Yeah, Florida was still favored, very small there, but they, they were favored. You, I mean, Tennessee, uh, struggling with UMass is really not a good look, but I, if I had to pick one, I would think maybe it's Butch Jones just because of, of the, like the negativity coming off the Florida game, doing nothing to remedy it in the press conference or against UMass uh, because they, they struggled against UMass so much. Mm-hmm. And then we'll segue to this topic next, but, here comes Georgia, right? In, yeah. in the England next week. Or this weekend, rather. Yeah, and, uh, this game looks really interesting now, given all those scenarios, and especially the fact that this game has been really, really entertaining, um, really like the last four or five years. It has. They don't blow each other out. No. They're, they're, it's just, they're, they're just trading haymakers and uh, let, let, the, let the chips fall where they may. Last year, the... Well, the double hair hair Mary game, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, Josh Dobbs. Was... I don't remember who he hit, but it was like forty something yards for a touchdown in the last second, and that was when Butch Jones uh, was crying afterwards. And it was right after Eason had hit uh, who somebody down there uh, for like a sixty something yarder on, on like the previous. It was it was interesting. Butch Jones teams have a history of giving up those long bombs uh, at the very end of the game. That maybe something to look at. Uh, but let's just say if Georgia, you know, blows Tennessee out, is Butch Jones gone? The problem there is that I really don't think they want to fire Butch Jones, right? Like you, you read the stuff Godfrey writes, and I think he's pretty well sourced. They don't seem like they want to fire him this year. Like give the new AD some time to kind of get his bearings, evaluate Jones and the program, and, and figure out who's on the market if you are going to make a move. I, but. But, Morgan, this would be the, the second straight year – well, not the second straight year, but th- this would be another year where they are out of the SEC race right. in September. 
I think. I mean, I think if. I mean, if they get blown out and Butch Jones is the guy through the rest of the season, regardless of how it goes, I just feel like they won't have a choice but to let him go. Because boosters are just going to be so tired of it. Right. Yeah, I, I can see that happening. I mean, because, look, Vanderbilt, they, they got crushed by by Alabama, but Vanderbilt can play. And didn't Vandy beat them last year, I think? They did. Or, one of the last years. You know, Kentucky, I don't think is good, but they're not terrible. I mean, South Carolina – is a lot more beatable now that they lost Debo Samuel. But those are three games that I don't think are, are – I wouldn't put them in the locks category for this Butch Jones-Tennessee team. Um, you know, they – I if they lose this, that's a three-and-two start. You struggled against Georgia Tech, which is respectable. That's fine. Um, they're probably on the way – if they lose this, they're probably losing four-plus games again. And that's, that's tough to stomach. Speaking yeah, of I know we I know we went through last uh, last week Tennessee's schedule. Um, really, the only gimme is maybe Kentucky, maybe Southern Miss. Yeah, because after I, Georgia, they have South Carolina at Alabama. Uh, Kentucky's on the road, and then Southern Miss at Missouri, LSU, Vanderbilt. Missouri might be a gimme. It looks like they they may have already quit on the season. Yeah. Um, that's tough. I, if you go, if, if they do lose to Georgia, you're going to lose at Alabama. I think you'll probably lose against LSU. Luckily, you get to host them. But who knows what LSU will be like at the end of the year? Right. They, that that could be a seven and five type team, and I don't know if seven and five cuts it in your your fifth year in Knoxville. All it's right. Been fine for him the last few years. So. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Um, all right. Let's end it on this. We have uh, nine games this week, nine uh, Power Five games. I figure we'll cover the Power Five more on this show because uh, Godfrey and Bill do such a good job covering the, the group of five on the podcast Ain't Played Nobody, one of our sister podcasts on the Espination uh, Podcast Network. Morgan, nine teams this week are single-digit favorites. Texas is given six and a half at Iowa State on Thursday night. Miami given six and a half at Duke on Friday night. Nebraska giving six and a half at Illinois on Friday night. USC is laying only four at Washington State again on Friday night. Georgia is only giving a touchdown to Tennessee in that game that we just discussed. That's a little bit surprising to me. Uh, Mississippi State is uh, going to Auburn, and Auburn is favored by nine and a half. Uh, Clemson is laying seven and a half on the road in Blacksburg. UCLA is actually a touchdown favorite, uh, somehow, uh, hosting Colorado. And Florida State is laying seven and a half at Wake Forest, and I, I'll ask you this. How many of these games do you think are likely to end in upsets, and, and which ones do you think are the most likely? Well, the one that sticks out just because of what Iowa State's done in the past is that Texas game. Anytime you go to Ames, and I know um, someone's going to write, I think it's Alex, is going to write a, a story on Iowa State hosting these you know, middle-of-the-week games um, at home and upsetting some folks, obviously, most notably Oklahoma State um, that year that they kind of ruined the BCS um, in in 2008. Um, Miami Duke, Duke's 4-0 for the first time ever. Um, Miami's looked pretty good, but, I mean, they've only played, what, two games because of the hurricane. So, um That'll be really interesting. 
I think USC needs to get a little bit more than four. Um, they are going on the road. Um, Georgia, Tennessee, I, I think that's fair, that number seven, because um, that game's been really close in the past. How many are going to be upset, you asked? Yeah, out of the nine, I, how many do you think are actually going to like outright pull the upset? I could see three, four, maybe. I think I'm right there with you. Yeah, I, I, four is maybe a stretch. The but. USC one to me is interesting because that, that that to me suggests that Vegas does not respect a team that I think a lot of us really believe is a true, yeah, uh, you know, college ball playoff contender. Now that that if you assume it's like three and a half points for a neutral neutral field type type adjustment, you know, to the home road thing. Mm-hmm. That implies USC would only be favored by, you know, taken from four plus three and a half, you know, favored by seven and a half on a neutral site over Washington State and would be laying, what, 11 points at home in Los Angeles to Wazoo? So either, either yeah. Vegas thinks Wazoo is better than we think or they <laughs> think USC is not as good as we think or maybe both. I think it's the latter. I think just because, you know, USC has been close with a lot of teams that they technically shouldn't have heading into the year. Um, and I know Vegas is really, really high on USC to to be a national title contender this year. So maybe they're kind of doubting how good the Trojans are at this point. Um, it's obviously a road game. But, yeah, I mean, I, I expect USC to win that game. But it'll be entertaining. And the one thing to keep in mind last week, USC had a ton of players who were injured. And they mm-hmm. held and they held out a number of them didn't travel, uh, so I, I'm kind of just I'm kind of wait and see on that game. I want to see who's actually going to play for USC because I, I do think a healthy USC squad. I, I totally agree with you. Should lay more than four uh, at Wazoo, and I, you know I'm interested to see how Mississippi State bounces back from that game yeah. with Georgia, and, and especially how, going to Auburn. Yeah, and how Georgia handles prominence. I know Kirby Smart brought this up this week. Hey, you know what? Yeah, we're 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 the cats meow right now. But last week, Mississippi State was that darling. After they had after they had beaten right. LSU so bad, can can we handle prominence, or are we just going to read our press clippings and and think that we can waltz into Tennessee and and just roll the ball out and win just because the logo on our helmet? I I'm gonna be interested to see that. And and I would I would believe more in Virginia Tech, but that but having a freshman quarterback against Brent Venables' defense really. Uh, Really kind of gives me my doubts. I I think yeah. Vatek will will put up a fight, but I I do like Clemson there. I think. Yeah, I agree. So I think if I had to pick like three, I would probably say. I mean, I could see Iowa State pulling that off because it is it's Thursday night, right, or Friday? Uh, it is. Uh, that's Thursday nighter. Could see that. Um, I kind of like Duke. But maybe that's just because I haven't seen as much from Miami as I would like. And my last one, I'm not going to ride the go ACC train, so I guess I would go Colorado maybe. I, I could definitely see that. I, I don't know where USC's mindset's at – or excuse me, UCLA's mindset is at. Though I think I agree with all yours, and and I'm, I'm going to throw in Illinois. I, I haven't right. seen anything from Nebraska so far this year that suggests they should be laying a touchdown – yeah, and that six and a half is a little high. And and look, Illinois is not good, but they're like borderline competent. 
mm-hmm. know, I, I can trust them not to like totally implode. I I think. I mean, they, they gave they gave USF a little bit of trouble for a bit. Uh, they, I think they, well, they they beat Western Kentucky, I believe, and I think they did okay with Ball State. I, I, Nebraska's better than those teams, but they're not, they're not like a ton better this year. It just the that might be a little bit of the the, the jersey logo uh, carrying the line as opposed to the actual players on the team. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, cool. Hey, uh, guys and girls out there, if you uh, if you have like unsubscribed to us on iTunes after we took our summer break, make sure to get us back on there. And if you like the show, give us a rating. We always appreciate that. We, we like uh, like any feedback you have. If you uh, if you have uh, questions for us. You can hit us up on Twitter. I'm at SBN Recruiting. And Morgan, you're at? Um, It's at Morgan underscore Moriarty, M-O-R-I-A-R-T-Y. Perfect. And we'll uh, we'll join you again next week for another edition of the SB Nation College Ball Recruiting Podcast, hopefully with even more recruiting talk because let's take some visits and let's get some commits so we can talk about what these uh, commits or or decommits mean. Not not a whole lot going on right now there, so we're we're having to kind of just fit recruiting stuff to – Uh, to the college ball landscape, but hopefully it was entertaining for you and we'll join you again next week.